0: a seat, everyone. Great to see you all. Hope everybody's doing good. And um, I think that works better over here for me. It's weird. How many of you are ambidextrous? Do you know what that means? I know it's a big word. I didn't even know it for a long time. It means you can do stuff with both hands. I, I'm, I'm kind of ambidextrous that way. Like, I steer with my left hand. I play pool with my left hand. I kick a ball with some to do with my left hand, Um, but I write with my right hand, so I don't know if that means my brain is just a little bit confused or what, but um, seems like this works best, (laughs) all that to say that. Well, um, I'm just so glad you guys can gather in this room on this beautiful uh, September Sunday morning, first day of the week. Um, and, you know, in, in, in classic traditional uh, uh, Christian um, language regarding architecture, uh, this space is known as a sanctuary, and one of the reasons that terminology is used is it defines a space that is set apart for God's purposes, and it's also a space where when we come into it, we think about how it is that, that we approach him uh, through, his, through prayer, through his word, uh, through the, the conversations that we have with each other, which are defined by fellowship. Uh, and, and, then, and then, in, in, the, in the, I think, the ultimate sense, meeting around the Lord's table. Uh, so it's good to be in a sanctuary, especially now, because so many signals are coming in to our lives that are chaotic, confusing, mixed, uh, anxiety-producing, and they're just... Times when we need to bracket everything that's happening out there and bring our attention to everything that's happening with him in our lives. So with that said, uh, I'd like to welcome our our friends online as well. Um, It's funny because I have friends who go to different churches and they say, yeah, we like to watch you online. And So I'm like, I'm not trying to steal you from your church, but I'm glad to hear that you like to watch our services online. Hopefully they're a blessing uh, for as many people as possible. Well, let's go ahead and uh, solicit some prayer concerns and maybe some things on your heart that are an expression of praise uh, so that we can um, uh, connect with our God through um, the praises that we have uh, for him and the concerns we have uh, to offer for his help. Kathy. Okay, prayers for Pastor Marvin, who they're gonna disconnect the life support. So that, that has to be just a, a very hard scenario to wrap your mind around for that family. Okay, Diane. Yeah. 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 Frightening stuff. Yep. Yeah. So pray for Diane's grandson as he recovers. Hopefully, you know, his back can get back to where it needs to be for the rest of his life. Okay. Anyone else? Diane? You, you were very much on our minds for a season, and and still, as you guys continue the grief process, yeah, okay. That's Diane. Diane Rude. Um, oh, let me do the other Diane. Since we got Dianes like threes, it's kind of the rule of threes here. Uh, then we'll do Linda. Okay, so uh, Diane. Oh good. Wow, that's very encouraging. Yeah. That's happened in her lung and they are starting medication for that. Okay. So keep her in your
1: prayers. And the other prayer is for, her name is Brenda Halber Sapp. Judy that looks with me as her daughter-in-law. She's been going downhill. She's only 15 years old. She couldn't breathe, but her oxygen are good. Okay.
0: Okay. So Brenda Halberstadt, lift her up in her struggles to get her, her breathing and her health back in that, in that area. You know, before I migrate to Linda, I love you, Linda. You know I'm not going to forget about you. But kind of as I'm looking, you know, because Robin, Robin's name is different than Diane. Then there's Pat Franks. What about Pat Franks? Can anybody tell me anything about Pat Franks that may be new and different? Nine decades here on planet Earth. Yeah. And knowing Pat like I do, she's still in the first couple of decades in her, in her spirits. So uh, that's good. Have to, I, I'll, even, I'll even cut part of my sermon for this. Does anybody, can anybody here lead the old Gray mare? I, I think somebody's coming. Do you know the song, "The Old Gray mare? The old gray mare come up here, come up here. Get, get up here, get up here. Get up here. Yes, come up here. Yes. Oh crying out loud. Okay, this is my, the level of control I have in my house. Um, okay, so from that voice that is seen in the background is going to lead us. Get up here. Get up here. You guys want to help me? Yes. Mandy, get up here. Thank you. No, it's not. We're, La 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 la. The young gray mare, she's all that she ought to be. Don't we love that, friends? Okay, there you go. You requested it, you got it. Okay, I don't know who that person was. But anonymous person, thank you. Uh, let me, let me uh, also mention Grace Zimmerman. Uh, turned 90 last week as well, Um, so I don't know if everybody's aware of that or not, but uh, that's a pretty big deal, and and since we're kind of personalizing this a little bit, Jerry, why don't you share what Grace said about her day, particularly as it has to do with the person sitting next to you. got a Porsche 911 because he earned it, and I I believe that, Um, took Grace for a ride, and she came back, and the grin factor was so off the chain, she's probably still wearing it. (laughs) So good job, Colin. You can tell people, I got this car from my grandma. (laughs) Okay. Now, uh, I'm going to... Linda. No, I, I, I was, I was oh, okay. Okay. All right. Joe Carroll, you had a. I, I, okay, I'll that. I'll be there. You'll be okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we'll save that one, but that is a good one. Yeah, Judy? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's been trying. We have a whole catalog of music and uh, it's hymns all the way to, to, to the new stuff and our, our aim is to try to engage all of us in that process. So, so thanks for the feedback. Yes, Amy. You your nervous You're nervous, aren't you?
1: are nervous you
0: are nervous because I'm gonna say something. No, because I, <laughs> I talked to Amy on the phone yesterday. I called her up and she had just eaten peanut butter. And she couldn't even talk. I said, I I hung up on her. I said, call me back when you're done. Good deal. Glad to see you healthy and happy again. All right. I like this. This is really good. A- anyone else? Alice? My mom had that test done in the group, and she, they said that they thought it was cancer, but it's not. Oh, that's good to hear. What a relief. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear those stories instead of the other. We're kind of tired of the other ones. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Yeah, Laura? Laura? Oh no. Okay. Okay. Hey, thanks for mentioning that, Lori. Um, we have, uh, of course, a church in town, uh, Larry Paxson and his wife Lynn, whom I've known for since I've been here. Uh, their son was in an accident in his life. Oh, he's ill. Okay. What, what's his name? Brian Marshall. Okay. Brian or Ryan? Okay. Man Marshall. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and pray, shall we? Father, as we gather around your throne, we thank you for calling us to be your people and your family, both uh, as we gather here in, 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 the, in, in the presence of one another and as we gather in spirit. We're grateful that as we wear the name of Christ on our being, uh, you've incorporated us into that broader community of people that are called your own. And it is perhaps the, the only organization in the whole world that is interested in just drawing absolutely everyone on the planet into it. And we can't even imagine the mercy and the grace and the love that you've brought to bear upon our human experience, in order for us to realize these promises and this joy of knowing uh, that we are kept by you, and Father, as we come in here in a in, in 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 a retreat, in many ways from all of the signaling from the world that has messages that is are, are not sourced in you, but sourced in the reality of just looking at life on the horizontal plane. We trust, Father, that in that vertical space where you come into our world, that whatever challenges we face in life, whatever threats that we have to contend with, whatever um, concerns that we carry, that there is a source for those who are called to be your people that we can draw from, we can find answers to, and we can find uh, the sourcing for every need. And so we don't lose heart. We find contentment, rather, in knowing that if Jesus is at the center of it all, that is all that we need. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for calling us and use us to call even more. Thank you Lord Jesus for helping our people through all of the challenges of the moment and especially those that we have mentioned as we um, think about loved ones that have gone on and the struggle that we have with our grief. And those like Pastor Marvin who are coming home but yet families that are left behind who feel uh, so much distress, I pray that your mercy and peace would be with them. I pray Father for Gail Hill. I just thank you Father for helping her through the season. Continue to encourage her. I thank you for being with um, uh, the, the family of Gail Keller and just helping them as well to draw from you that strength that they, they need for this moment. I pray, Father, that you would uh, just show uh, blessing in, in, in abundance upon Grace and Pat as they celebrate these milestones in their lives. Thank you for their youthfulness and just the spirit that they have towards the lives that they've been given that's so refreshing. I thank you, Father, for um, being with um, uh, those around us that we've lifted up in the past and you've you've helped them along. And as we think about new people like um, uh, Larry Pax and son Ryan, we ask, Father, that you sustain him. And as we think about um, Brenda as she's struggling and, and languishing, we pray that you would give her the ability to breathe again and find her health and strength again. We ask, Father, that uh, as we gather in this room and we lift these up before you, that you help us to be aware of who it is that we can be praying for and who it is that we can, we can be sharing uh, your love with in this time. And as a church collectively, we pray that you would give us guidance on our role and our responsibility to the moment that we're experiencing socially. And Father, as we attune ourselves to you and the values that you have laid out for us in your kingdom, and as we unlearn values that we've taken up that are not from you, Lord, and we discover in you some new path that um, is so compelling, help us to, with intent, uh, pray together. forever amen all right well uh, we are continuing on in the book of luke uh, for a few more weeks and then we're going to jump off into philippians and take a little break from it so you don't have luke fatigue um, and and hopefully uh, as we take a break uh, we can focus on some pretty wonderful things from the book of uh, philippians that paul wrote um, two thousand years ago but still fresh Uh, So with that said, if you have your Bibles with you or you want to just turn in whatever device or form you have, uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10 again. And last week we talked about the framing story of the Good Samaritan, which had to do with the conversation that Jesus had with the the lawyer. Uh, And by lawyer, it's not like, you know, your attorney that you, you know, paid $10,000 an hour to. This was a guy who studied the scripture and said, it, it, you have to interpret it this way. And he was gonna test Jesus with some things, and Jesus used that as an opportunity to, I think, bring something that was below the surface to the surface. And we're gonna explore that today. Um, I told Brittany, I said last week, I'm just gonna do one series, one message on the Good Samaritan. Well, I, I didn't lie, but I also didn't know what my future version of myself was gonna say. Uh, And that is, uh, we're going to do three. So this is part two of three. So there you go. Um, Now, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, if you've read it, um, maybe you you think it's just about somebody doing good for somebody else. But there is a lot more that we need to hear that I'm hoping we can discover today. So uh, jumping into it, um, we're going to pick up on on verse 29 where it says uh, in Luke 10. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this is a big question for Jewish people at that time because there's a lot of people around them that they just don't like. And this group of people, particularly, that they don't like is going to come up in this question. So here Luke um, continues on by saying, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Well, then a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. So one thing I want to mention here real quickly, just as a sidebar, a lot of times in Jewish storytelling, there there is, believe it or not, a, a rule of three. You know, we have three Dianes, Diane, 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 um, but there's also like uh, father, son, and Holy Ghost, if you're old school, Holy Spirit, if you're old school too. There, there's, um, there, there's other sayings like that that, that, that kind of have that sort of ring to it. And in the mind of a Jewish person, this rule of three, uh, interestingly enough, when a person said a priest, a Levite, naturally you, you'd already be ahead of them by saying and also an Israelite. And that's what you expected, priest, Levite, Israelite. Grass is green, water's wet, and priest, Levite, Israelite, father, son, Holy Ghost. So they're expecting him to say, and an Israelite. Interestingly enough, something strange happened on the way to building this story because Jesus says, but a Samaritan, priest, Levite, Samaritan, And then you know where that phrase, one of these things is not like the other that you heard growing up? This is that. This is probably where it came from because this doesn't fit. And I'll tell you why it doesn't fit in about the next 10 minutes. And here they're like, what? What? A Samaritan? And so they're like, some people are like, I'm out. Other people are like, where's he going with this? That was the reaction. And you're going to find out why that was the reaction uh, as we move through this, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now you and I read this, and you're like, okay, you got um, you got the you got the Israelites, and you got the people from Judah during that time, and then you got the Samaritans, and they all kind of like you know, and you got the woman at the well in Samaria, and you're like, yeah, it's uh, it's like it's like Ohioans trying to talk to. Um, I don't know, West Virginians, Kentuckians, in- Indianians, I don't know. Um, it's, or maybe it's like uh, Illinoisans talking to Chicagoans. Two different states just happen to be classified as one. There's a little tension there, but it runs deeper than that. And I'm just going to, sh- I, I want to draw this out because I, I hear uh, so much about the Samaritans in the story that I, I don't think we appreciate what is going on here uh, to the degree that we need to, so let's just do a little history lesson real quickly. In in in, in the storyline of the Old Testament, there is a nation of Israel, and then there is the na- then there is the nation of Judah, and it's like the two kingdoms split up after Solomon's uh, reign. Uh, Rehoboam went one way, and Jeroboam went the other, and the whole thing that was so carefully established started to break down. And so to the north, you had the, the Basically, the ten tribes of Israel settle up in the north, uh, and in the bottom part of the, of the Holy Land is uh, Judah and Benjamin. And those two kind of hung together, and there was a little bit of divisiveness happening there. Well, getting back to the graphic prior to this one, uh, you have in 722, Israel as a, as a, as a country or as a nation uh, was taken into captivity by Assyria. And when the Assyrians, their foreign policy was if they take you into captivity, they're going to take every professional quality person who can add a lot of value and they're going to scatter them to different parts of their empire. And they're going to leave within the land basically kind of the low-functioning tenant farmers, not not the ideal class of people in their mind, the peasants. They're just going to leave them to tend the land. Okay, you with me so far? And so in this case, you had the peasants there. But then you also read in, um, in, in 2 Kings 17, 24, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, Sarah, Pharaoh thing, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. So you see what's going on here? You got these outsiders who are from very pagan backgrounds coming into Israel, intermarrying with the peasants and creating a whole mutt class of people up to the north of, of, Ju- of Ju- Judea, and they're starting to be the sense of, they're not really, they're not really us. Uh, they're kind of a mixed race now, and they're confused in their thinking and in their, their culture. So, what was at the north was once Israel, because of this intermingling of all of these people that are brought together through this Assyrian um, uh, captivity, it is now called Samaria. All right? Now, in Samaria, there uh, there were some things happening that, that basically were different than what happened in 586, 150 roughly years later when the king of Babylon had kicked out the Assyrians and said, we're taking over the empire. And it's kind of like, you know, the Brits were the world empire and then the United States was, and now China, you know, they're kind of posturing for that. Now, guess who's in charge? The Babylonians. And their foreign policy is, we're gonna go to that place called Judea and we're gonna take everybody and we're gonna just put them all in one place. And so you had Israelites in exile together as a whole community, peasants all the way up to the highest of the professional classes of people, okay? And then um, they're still cohesive as a nation, and there's no intermingling with anybody. And then all of a sudden, Cyrus shows up, King Cyrus. Have you ever heard of Bu Cyrus, Ohio? Anybody? You know why they call it Busiris, because it is short for beautiful Cyrus, which is what people called Cyrus, because as a Persian he had a very very charitable posture towards God's peoples and God's purposes, and it was through the Persian Empire that all of these exiled uh, Judeans were given permission to go back to their homeland, and not only that they were given resources. Uh, with the leading of uh, one of the tribal leaders, Zerubbabel, to build a new temple because it had been destroyed earlier. And this is the sacred sanctuary that they needed to gather at to find their identity and to find their sense of their presence of mind. And Zerubbabel said, yes, in the name of the Persian Empire, we're, or um, uh, Cyrus and Artaxerxes, i I'm, I'm kind of condensing some things here, said, in the name of the Persian Empire, go build your temple. And they said that to all the places that had been displaced by the Babylonians. Go back and rebuild your country. And so there was Zerubbabel's temple. And so that's what it looked like. Not real extravagant. Pretty basic, but enough to get the job done. Nothing like Solomon's temple and certainly nothing like uh, Herod's temple, which will come later. But this is sort of like an in-between temple. And so... Ezra and Nehemiah are sent back to Judea because they're settling back in now, and they're they're trying to rebuild the temple and the walls. And guess who wants to be part of the building project? The Samaritans. They want in on it, and the people in the rebuilding process are essentially saying, no, we don't want you in on it. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, you read about... Uh, Samballot and uh, Tobiah and, and the others who are Samaritans who are trying to basically undermine the rebuilding of Judea. There's some tensions happening here already. And it gets even more intense between these two groups of people because the Samaritans went and rewrote the Old Testament along the lines of what they would call the Samaritan Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in the middle of that storyline is a mountain called Mount Zion, and that is the place where God wants his temple to be built. Only the scribes, whenever they decided to redefine the narrative, and as they were given permission to build a temple in Samaria up north, they took their eraser and they took out Zion, And they typed in Mount Gerizim. And the picture that you're going to see here is the place that we read about in the book of, um, uh, I believe it's in Numbers, where there is the blessings on Mount Gerizim and there is the cursings on Mount Ebal. It's actually uh, Deuteronomy 28, 29. Um, And so up there in Samaria, Mount Gerizim, this is happening. People are on the two mountains. And they're reading the law, saying the blessings. And on the other mount, mountain, people are reading the law, saying the cursings. And Samari- the Samaritans said, that mountain is the mountain of God, the mountain of blessing. And so we claim that. It's where the temple is supposed to be. So already we've got rival temples for the same God happening. And in Mount Gerizim, um, they're basically establishing in their own way their understanding of who they think they are as God's people. Are you with me? Because after Bucyrus and Xerxes and those guys die, then you have the Medes and then the Persians, and these guys are getting tired of having the boot of all these countries on their neck. But there's one guy, Antiochus Epiphany, who comes about um, uh, just about two centuries less than two centuries before Jesus and he he doesn't like what's happening and he decides that he's gonna go into the temple and he's gonna sacrifice a pig all right now if you're Jewish and you have a pig sacrifice in your temple that's what the Jews called the abomination that causes desolation okay and it was it was, it was horrifying, and it, it, it led to a revolt. And so the, Sumer- so the Judeans, who didn't have enough people, went to Samaria and said, hey, brothers, kinda, can you help us fight um, uh, the Greeks and their way of just defiling everything that we have together, that commonality? And the Samaritans said, good luck. You're on your own. Not enter. We're busy that day, whatever day that is. Busy. I'm looking on the calendar. That didn't busy, busy, busy. And so they're just furious. So by the time this whole thing unfolds, the Jewish writers are writing about the attitude that they have towards the Samaritans. And one of the things that they're saying is um, in Ben Sirach, uh, which is in what those those kind of questionable books of the Bible. Uh, It's in the Catholic Bible. Uh, There are two nations my soul detests. The third is not a nation at all. The inhabitants of Mount Seir and the Philistines and the stupid people living at Shechem, which is Samaria. All right, so you kind of get a sense. There's really bad blood between these two groups of people. You have to appreciate that to know where Jesus is going in this parable to really wrap your mind around What he's doing here? I mean, later on they wrote, it says, he that eats the bread of the Samaritans is like the one who eats the flesh of swine. Now, I like bacon like anybody else, but I'm not from that culture, so I have a different attitude about swine. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus has taken his apostles through Samaria on the way to Jerusalem, and he tells them, Preach the word there. And the people say, yes, we got to preach the good news, even to these people, because Jesus says, and they go on, they say, Hey Samaritans, did you know that if you no, did you know that Jesus is Lord? And they're like, busy. Get out of here. We don't want you or your kind around here. We'll give you. Ten seconds to get out. One, two, ten. And so James and John are indignant. And so the Christian response in their mind is, well, we're not practicing modern warfare here, so we can't call in the F-18s to drop napalm down on them. But fire from heaven would work. And Jesus is watching this a little bit at a distance and saying, no, 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 no. This is not what we're doing here, people. I get the anger and the animosity and I get the desire to rain down napalm on your enemies, but that is not how the kingdom works. And so if you don't, take a minute, get your backhoe out and start excavating some of this stuff a little bit, you're not really seeing what's happening here. I said backhoe, that's a trigger word for you tractor people like myself. Um, So in reality, the bottom line is um, Jesus is really starting to stir it up. In John chapter 8, the religious opposition and the people that aren't liking his program because he's, in some ways, cozying up with enemies, they said um, in John 8:48, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? That may not mean much to you, but there are harsh ways of name-calling that we can do for each other, and that's right up there around the top as as we're kind of finding out what's happening on the on the landscape of Jesus turning back to our story in verse 33 it says but a samaritan as he traveled priest levite <laughs> samaritan but a samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him he had compassion He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Looking after him, he said, And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Just stopping for a minute here. It's assumed that the guy that was beaten and left for dead is Jewish. The Samaritan, obviously, is not Jewish. And beyond that, he is going the extra mile and saying, I'll give you two weeks' wages to take care of this person, this human being. And people are hearing the story, and there's so many things about the story that just don't make sense. And one of them is, who in their right mind would spend two weeks' wages? So think about what you make in two weeks if you're in, 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 however your revenue stream is. And you say, okay, I just want to give that to a stranger and hope they get better. But it's even more than that. Because um, Bailey in his commentary on the ancient Near East said, it's the equivalent of during the cowboys and Indians era, a cowboy being left for dead A Native American, um, using that language, put the cowboy on his horse, took him to the saloon, which is the outpost of our enemies, and put this guy up in the upper loft of the saloon and had him taken care of. And as he's coming in, people are saying, who beat this guy up? I'll bet you it was him. That's what's going on here. So, a lot of things that are just not making a whole lot of sense. And Jesus is pushing in on this because he turns around the question from who is my neighbor to which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of ro- the robbers and what did he say in verse 37 it says the one the one the one who had mercy on him he couldn't even say the name samaritan Couldn't go there because we just, we have too much history going on here. There is no basis for a connection between us and them. And so as you hear this story, I think this guy would like to have it remembered as the parable of the good neighbor, not the good Samaritan. So you can just imagine him editing this part in his own version of the Bible. And he had clear boundaries regarding who was in, why they were in, and who was out and why they were out. And they had a lot to do with the fact that they had a parting of of the ways over a disagreement from way back. But if you read the Bible carefully, you find that when Jesus commissions the disciples, he says, start in Judea then go to Samaria, and then go to the rest of the world. And so there's something about what Jesus is trying to accomplish here that is by design supposed to include everyone. Together. Forever. But we have categories for people It's kind of our way of sort of controlling in our own mind who they are. We kind of put them in a box. And I think human nature does this. And there's nothing wrong with categories. It's kind of portable and a way to kind of differentiate things. But if you were to ask a self-respecting Jew during that time, not even drinking, they would say all Samaritans are blank all Samaritans are scum, all Samaritans are half-breeds, all Samaritans are lost, all Samaritans are disgusting, that would be how they'd fill in the blank. And I think what the challenge that comes to mind as we fast forward to the moment is how much in the media and in the culture People are running headlong to try to find an identity marker. Whether it's Republican, all Republicans are blank. All Samaritan or all Democrats are blank. Um, all all um, LGBTQ people are blank. Or all binary people—that's federal blank And it's like no matter where you turn, there is a category for separating who we are. And we are so culturally conditioned by that way of processing information that we start to do it everywhere we go because it's a pattern that we tune into and we're not even aware of it. The only problem with this pattern, it is not from God. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with saying, yeah, I kind of come from a culture in a certain way, but that's not my primary identity. My primary identity is who I am in Christ, centered on an even deeper identity that all people are not created equal. I don't believe that. All people are made in God's image. Okay? Um, And as... God reformats our understanding of how we see other people. He's wanting us to be careful about making our primary categories of other people greater than who we are in Christ and greater than who we are as we're made in God's image and likeness. And Jesus is having to reset some of that. and this is particularly a challenging moment. I mean, we read the parable and we think, okay, I got it. A good Samaritan does good things for people. I should do more good things for people. But he's after not just doing good things for people. He's after for a new way to unite people together by undoing and breaking down some old ways of processing how we relate to one another. And the best way you can summarize it is this. If we can't love those who we don't don't agree with, then we don't have a clue as to what it means to follow Jesus. And that's all of us. We have to process this very carefully because Jesus was very big on redefining our humanity along a brand new set of values and principles. And here's what Jesus did. Jesus loved and accepted people without ever watering down his own values or convictions. It doesn't meant his view of tolerance wasn't I'm going to tolerate you know, behavior that is going to dehumanize you in in some way. No, he said, I'm going to love you, and I hope that the relationship that I have with you will create a new sense of who you are to such a degree that you'll start those things that used to be so important to you, that defined you, that were maybe your addictions or your habits or the things that you clung to or the things that energized you apart from Christ. That connection that you have with Jesus begins to change your relationship to everything in your life. Maybe because of COVID, you're thinking, I should take up drinking again. I certainly get it. But you may ask the question as a believer, maybe I should ask the Lord to help me with how I process my trust in you and how your perfect love casts out all fear. And I can just go down the list of ways that we relate to problems and people and conflicts that had nothing to do with the Lord, everything to do with what we learned from the world. And when we meet Jesus, we start to work backward into those responses, and we see people differently. My my friend Bob Martin, who many of you know, I met Bob 15 years ago, and John, I know you golf with Bob, and have you ever seen Bob just get angry and take the clubs and just whoosh, throw it out into the lake? Never. But Bob would tell you I was that guy. I was just an angry, angry man. I said, Bob, I I, I, I don't know. I think you must have got conked in the head or something because you're not that... I've never seen that in you. And he'd be the first to tell you, the reason why you don't see it in me is because I developed a relationship with Jesus that began to change me from the inside out. That's good news, right? That's really good news. And Jesus is trying to get even his followers to unlearn some of this stuff that's so hostile, and to relearn a new way by embodying it. So, Amy Jill Levine, who we quoted last week, and I, you know, this, this message series, uh, lots of dependence on N.T. Wright, Amy Jill Levine, client um, uh, Snodgrass, uh, uh, Brad Gray, um, those guys have done really good work in just digging up this stuff. But Amy Jill Levine, who's Jewish and not necessarily a Christian, but knows her culture well, said, In Jewish thought, one could not mistreat the enemy, but love was not mandated. Only Jesus insists on loving the enemy. Only Jesus. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we, we read that quote in Matthew uh, chapter 5 in the in the Um, that great sermon. He may be the only person in antiquity to have given this instruction. So by that by that notion and this part of the telling, Jesus is looking at the lawyer and he's saying, love your enemies. Because you really kind of had the wrong question. And 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 really the question that we may have is how? So let's just have a takeaway here just maybe one and a half and that is we have to be willing to imagine that the enemy can do good that they can be good i honestly believe that when jesus becomes a part of the equation guns get laid down fists get pulled back words become more carefully crafted. I truly believe that. And in the end, when it comes to all of these things, the only way that you can override those impulses towards hostility, this is the other half part that's probably the most important part, and to love them. And to love them. Not with our own love, our own feelings but the love that you ask the Lord to flow through your life to the other person. The fruit of the Spirit, very first one, love. The end, part two. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this journey through this story. Thank you, Father, for helping us to wrap our mind around the landscape that Jesus saw the hearts that he called to account that he could recover, the desire that he had to see all of us come to a saving knowledge of who you are. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him and trusts in him should never perish but have everlasting life. I pray that as a result of what we've gained here that your love in a new way would flow into our hearts and out from our hearts into your world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being firm, for standing firm in those convictions in a way that through the signals of confusion from everybody, you didn't waver, but you held true, and we live in the legacy of your steadfastness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us a better way, help us as we move through the week ahead to live it out under conditions that would test us otherwise. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus, amen. We're gonna be moving into our communion time. And um, today I'm also that guy. And I wanna differentiate what we just went through in our time in the Word to the time at the table. Now, obviously, we're gathered in pews facing this way. But the design is for us to be in a space where we see Jesus at the center. And so some of us may right now, as we're going through the process of taking packaging off of our cups... You may want to bow your head and spend a a moment or two just talking to him. It's called the Eucharist in other terminology, which is a, a Latin and a Greek word for thanksgiving. So oftentimes whenever I take communion, I thank the Lord for so many things that he's been faithful in, that he's been gracious in, for his mercy, for the blessings of life, for his deep and profound love. That's just a few that I think about when I'm sitting in this front pew. I think about what the cup represents, a bloodstained cross, That is the epitome of God's love for you and me. I think about a piece of bread that under any other circumstances is just a piece of bread. But in this sanctuary, it is is the bread of life. And when we break it, it's a symbolic, interactive reminder of his body broken for you and me. We come before him with a lot of things that we have to unlearn. And the path that is directed away from God is the path of, of sin. And there's a lot of sins that we do, but the biggest sin of all is to not constantly redirect and recalibrate our path towards him so that the things that we do flow out of that. But there may be something on your conscience this morning that you brought into this room that God's saying, I need to make my peace with you. Let's use this meal as a way of reconciling. And oftentimes it involves confessing our sins. Those things that His Spirit convicts us that we need to deal with and you know them when they come up they just kind of nag at you and they tell you this isn't right this needs to get sorted out Communion's a time where we, we ask for forgiveness it is the most sacred moment in this sanctuary every Sunday everything else is sort of derivative of what happens here. And so with that in mind, would you meet him at the cup and the loaf and take it as, as he leads you.
2: Stand, we'll close out. I approach the throne of glory. Nothing in my hands, I Just kidding. child. Things and safety on everybody uh, as they go to work and school and home and uh, whatever they do, God. Just uh, bring us back safely next week. love you. stay to you. Amen. See y'all later.